He said, my son, don't ever doubt. He said, don't ever doubt the gifts of Padre Pio. Welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. I'm your co-host, Dennis. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And we're just a couple of guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint of our favorite beers. So why don't you pour yourself a pint, pull up a chair, and listen in for the next little while. As we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation or have an idea for the podcast, leave us a comment or swing by our Facebook page and drop us a message. Dennis, buddy, how are you doing today? Good, good, Robert. I was thinking today as I was getting a beer for today's program that it is a kind of dunkle kind of day, isn't it? Today of all days is a dunkle kind of day, which I don't have one, but... Well, you're, you're drinking uh, the yeah. box, so that's a, a nice, strong beer. And... It's a cl- close, yeah. But it's just a horrible day out there. Lots of rain, it lots is. of sleet, still very cold. But I mean, spring is around the corner, Robert. You must be enjoying it. It's that uh, great Irish sunshine that yes, we've got going on out there. Very Irish weather, isn't it? For sure, for sure. But you've uh, got us another great guest this afternoon, correct? I'm really excited for our guest today, Dennis. Uh It's one of those that uh, our guest kind of came out of nowhere and kind of learned about him. And the more I delved in and I read his book, and since I finished the book last week, I've just been anticipating our our chat with him today. Absolutely. And you gave me a little bit of a hint of the book, a few teaser chapters. So you'd forced me to go out and buy the book as well, which is great because now you've got me hooked. Uh, I've I've read the first six, I believe, and I've got to get it as well because it's... uh, he, does, he has done a lot of work on one of our favorite saints. So, uh, well, I'll let you introduce him there, Robert, whenever you're ready, sir. Yeah. I was just going to say, as a fellow author, it's all about moving copies, right? Yes, so, product you know, the, must be moved. The more I can help a brother author get a couple <laughs> more books out there. Especially, in Rhode, especially in Rhode Island, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Flying off exactly. the shelves, yeah. So, yeah, I'll introduce our guest here for our episode today. So, Brett Thoman. And I, I hope I got that right. Like always, you know, used to speaking French day in and day out, as you know, Dennis. And sometimes right. that, th- that that th can yeah, be a you bit never of a say, hindrance. You never say th. You say Thoman. Thoman. Yep, okay. Thoman. Thank you. Got got it from the guest himself. Thoman is a third order Franciscan and an American who lives in Loreto, Italy, with his wife and three children. He not only has a certificate in Franciscan studies. He also holds a BA in foreign languages and a master's degree in Italian. Not to mention, he's also a fully licensed pilot. Since 2004, Brett's main activity has been organizing pilgrimages across Italy for St. Francis pilgrimages, focusing on the places where the saints have lived and walked. And most recently, believe it or not, as we were talking about his book there, Dennis, but he's written the book about the decal in the back window of your car which you know I like to affectionately call the Padre Pio Mobile. The Padre Pio Mobile. So amidst all of this, Brett has found a few minutes this afternoon, or if you'd like for Brett himself this evening in Italy, to have uh, a drink with us here and uh, chat on the Pints and Pews podcast. So Brett, welcome. Bienvenuti to the Pints and Pews podcast. Grazie, Roberto. Grazie. Thank you so much, Roberto, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Good oh. to have you on the show, uh, Brett. Yeah, we were chatting a, a little bit about languages before we got started. And I think the only other Italian I know to use on a regular basis, salve. Hi. 
right? And I don't know if that's current in the, that's right. in the part mm -hmm. of Italy where you are. And I used that with an Italian colleague and it only dawned on me like salve in Italian. In French, we would say salut. And how beautiful is that when you greet one another, you're wishing salvation on the other person. That's right. Yeah, so it's an ancient uh, greeting, actually goes back to Latin, but it, it uh, goes throughout the Middle Ages. And that's the first part of the Hail Mary, Salve O Maria. As a matter of fact, today's the Annunciation. So we heard that in the scripture reading at Mass today in the Gospel. Well, that's absolutely beautiful. And so, yeah, today is the Feast of the Annunciation. You were saying that's a big feast day where you are in Loreto. That's right. I'm in Loreto, and I moved here with my wife about nine years ago. So my wife is Italian. She's from southern Italy in Puglia, which if uh, you can't see, but I'm looking out my window. It's dark out here, and there's the Adriatic Sea in front of me. And if I turn right, basically south, and go about 400 kilometers, so about just a little under 300 miles, we get to the region of Puglia, which is where Padre Pio lived most of his life. A little further than that is where my wife is from. So we've been here about nine years, and to my left, again, it's dark, you can't see it, but I can see a little light, which is on the top of the cupola, or the dome, uh, that is built over what we believe and what is believed to be the house of Mary of Nazareth. So it's really three walls. And if uh, you've ever been to the Holy Land on pilgrimage, uh, you'll go to the Basilica of the Annunciation, which is uh, believed, uh, which is built over what's believed to be the House of Mary, the Grotto, and it's also believed to be the site where the Annunciation took place. That is where Mary was visited by Saint Gabriel the Angel, and uh, she responded with her C, her yes, her Magnificat, and. Uh, was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. So it was believed that angels took her walls from Nazareth and brought them here. Um, there's some modern archaeological evidence and some, some research that says maybe it was the Crusaders who brought the walls, in either case, in 1294. And they've done a lot of uh, modern research, and especially archaeology, and have confirmed that the walls are from Nazareth and are 99% certainly from the Basilica of the Annunciation. So the question oh. is, not did they come from Nazareth. The question is, was the was that Mary's home? And then was the Annunciation, did it take place in Mary's home? So there's a lot of reasons to, to believe uh, the answer is yes, which uh, maybe on another program next year on uh, March 25th, we can talk about that. Oh, you know, and absolutely beautiful. And what absolutely. a blessing to have uh, you know that so close. We're over here in Canada. We do have some of our own holy sites but not anything that can hold a light to to that at oh, all wow. at all i'm just gonna say both of my uh, children received their first communion and their confirmations in the holy house and so it's uh it's a special place it's a place of prayer it's a marian shrine one of the most important marian shrines and uh, many of the saints have visited here uh, padre pio actually did not we'll talk about him in a few minutes hmm. obviously but he uh, spoke often about this holy house and he was a a seer. He had all kinds of charismatic gifts, and he saw and in his, some of his writings and, and conversations with some of his spiritual sons and daughters, he believed that the Annunciation took place here. I know for myself, having visited both Lourdes and Fatima, uh, when you are in those places, those Marian shrines, you can really feel like this is a place where heaven has touched earth. Right? Sure. Uh, so, it's, so to um, you know, part 
I was going to say part of it is, is from the events that took place there. And I think the other part is due to the people who pass through here because the Fatima Lords receive millions of visitors every year, at least before the pandemic and the people are coming back now. Loretto, we don't have those numbers, but we have hundreds of thousands. And when you have people coming to a place and praying in it and through it, it really um, sort of sacramentalizes the place. And hmm. you, you can feel the people who are... Um, spiritual life can sense it. And I have told me certain things that have happened here in the Holy house. And it's, it's, uh, it can be very powerful. Oh, for sure. For sure. Now, before we get into to too much detail here, Brett, uh, Dennis always gets a little bit antsy if we leave our beers for too late into the show. So sure. Uh, now you're joining us for a drink, but you, I guess not a, a beer drinker per se. So why don't you just want to share what's wetting your whistle with us here this evening, Brett, and then I'll get Dennis to introduce his, his beer. Well, I, I, I'm afraid to tell you, cause I'm, I'm not sure how you react and if you're going to like me as much as you did a few minutes ago, a few minutes ago, I'm drinking water, 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 water. sparkling it's, San Pellegrino. It, it, I was gonna, no, no, it is sparkling. So it has a little bit of kick to it, just a little bit of, uh, of punch. So, uh, you know, it's, it's water. Yeah. It yeah. does the job. Well, Italy's not really renowned for, for its beer. I don't think I know that the monks no, at Nursia. Yeah, you're familiar with Nor Nursa, the monks, the Saint Benedict, the monks of Saint Benedict, San Benedetto. They they do some brewery, but they're monks. It's a Benedictine tradition. Here, obviously, this is wine country. Yeah, so, a little bit of wine. And it's down wine there, during meals sure. too. So Italians don't really drink wine in the evening like maybe they okay. do in North America. Uh, yeah, it's it's wine country. So, uh, but we do that during meals, during lunch mm -hmm. usually. Probably. Okay, okay. Well, Dennis, what do you have for us? I've got one of our locals, uh, Robert, but it's a special brew, a demonstrator Doppelbach, strong beer. It's about 6% alcohol with some sweet and malty hints of chocolate, dark fruit, and some toasted grains. So I'm going to pour this one. And you, sir, what do you have today? Well, I was uh, out and about the other day, and I happened to be in a out little and plaza, and I noticed, uh, yeah, out and about. Out and about. Not that people don't need to know that we're from Canada or anything. No, 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 of course not. But I was in a little plaza, and there happened to be a, a small craft brewery in the plaza. So I thought, yeah, I'll, I just uh, saved a few dollars on my purchase water, and I go spend it in the, the craft brewery. So I was at the Five Paddles Brewing mm -hmm. Company here in Whitby, and I picked up a peanut butter Godiva stout. Wow. She got the peanut butter, you got the chocolate, you got everything in there. I got to have a look at that beer when you pour it. I wonder what that looks like. It, it's like drinking a, a Reese's peanut butter cup. Mm. And I thought to have that today because my the, the link I came up with this to Italy today for our guest was as I was drinking this, I said to the, the owner of the brewery, I said, if you can put Nutella in a can, I'm mm. all in. Right. So, uh, yeah, we'll give this a pour. And now, also, I was looking the the name Godiva. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, I'm going to make a mess here again. Uh, the name uh, from Lady Godiva. Lady and Godiva. I to, to look that up because, you know, she's known for riding. A strode horse naked, right? Na yeah, naked. Through the town. But there's actually some uh, great Catholic links with with Lady Godiva in that she was married to Leofric, the Earl of Mercia in England. And they were known for bestowing gifts on monasteries in the local cathedrals. 
So they actually built the Benedictine monastery at Coventry. Oh, how interesting. Uh, and they provided the rood at uh, Evesham. So the, the statue with the crucifix, Mary and St. John the Apostle. And they even donated a gold fringe chasuble to St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Right. There you and go. So these are the, the kind of the, the the little things that we little connections, yeah. That, that we learn to the faith uh, as we go along. I mean, most people would say, "Oh, yeah, no, Lady Godiva, she's going around horseback naked." But there's mm-hmm. actually quite a a relationship to the faith. Now, Dennis, whose turn is it to say grace before beer? Um, I can say it, Robert, since we'll get started quickly. And Brett has a, lots of stories to tell us. So interesting. Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race, and grant, through the invocation of thy holy name, that whoever shall drink it may gain health and body and peace and soul. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Cheers, Brett. Thank you for coming on the show. Cheers, Robert, gentlemen. Cheers, darker than mine. Thank you for having me. This is the part of the show where we get out of their way. I unleash my inner Marcus Grodi, and I tell you, you to take us back to the beginning of your faith journey, uh, first in America and then mm. overseas to Italy. If you'd like, you can start wherever you want, and I'm sure the listeners sure. will certainly enjoy this part. Well, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, so I am 50 years, I just turned 50 last year. So uh, I think anybody who's over, let's say 40, he has a, a book in them with something and mm-hmm. then add 10 years to that. And so uh, with my faith journey, which started when I was, well, started when I was baptized, but um I guess what I'm saying is there's a long version and a short version. So I'm going to try and give you the short version. So I grew up in uh, Georgia, outside of Atlanta in a suburb. And when I was uh, 12 years old, I was baptized. I was baptized as a Lutheran. And I kind of got skipped. I should have been baptized Catholic because my mother was Catholic. But uh, back then, there in the little town I was living in, there was no Catholic parish. There was a mission or priest who had come in there. And, and I don't know any of this. My mom told me not too many years ago. Hmm. So a missionary priest would come in and celebrate once a month in the rec center. And my older brother, who he had been baptized Catholic in Hawaii because my dad was in the military and then he became a pilot. He was an airline pilot with Delta and Delta's hub is in Atlanta. So that's why I ended up there. So by the time we got there in the suburb, there was no Catholic church. I got skipped that nobody could understand what the missioner uh, Latin American priest was saying. And there was a Lutheran pastor that uh, his wife met my mom. She invited him to the Lutheran church. And and my mom said, well, I'm Catholic, uh, but I don't know what that is about Lutheran. And the wife said, well, it's kind of like Catholic, but uh, a, a light version of it. <laughs> so that was it. We went to the Lutheran church. I was baptized. And when I was a child, I did have a relationship with God. And then I think like a lot of people, or at least this is my story, when I got into my teenage years, I think what was going on uh, internally and then around uh, the town I grew up in was just too much. And I didn't have a strong enough faith life. And so I got away from faith and I did things that you know, on the weekend that, you know, I look back and I'm not proud of, certainly. And then as those things kind of progressed, my faith got smaller and smaller and my by the time I was in my later teen years, somewhere between agnosticism and atheism. And I got into college and went to University of Georgia. <clears throat> and there I really uh, hit bottom. I just kind of bottomed out in a lot of different ways. 
definitely spiritually, but even mentally, emotionally, and physically to a degree. And it wasn't really a dark night of the soul like St. John of the Cross talks about because it was uh, that's more of a spiritual bottoming act. It was more like Dante when he talks about the dark wood, myself in a dark wood or a dark forest. Hmm. That's what it was like, and it was scary. And Dante is very creative. He's a poet in the Middle Ages, and he uses terminology that I'm not creative enough to use, but it's a, it was a very scary place. So I started searching, and I became uh, kind of evangelical. I got involved with this uh, sort of non-denominational kind of evangelical church. I don't know if I would have used the, the term born again, but that's kind of what happened to me. At the same time, I was studying Italian, and I was making my first few trips to Italy. So I was about 19, and I discovered the Catholic Church here. So, so, so where's the Italian, this, sorry, uh, Brett, where's, where's the Italian connection from? Uh, one of your parents, or you just decided Italian? What, I just... Well, uh, when I was in college, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I didn't have any, I, I, okay, I have a great-great-grandmother who is Italian, uh, great-great-grand, I'm sorry, great-great-grandparents uh, who emigrated from Italy to San Francisco. So I had some Italian blood mm-hmm. in me. And at the University of okay. Georgia, I had to take three quarters, a full year of a language. And I had taken Spanish in high school, and I thought it was kind of easy. And I thought French, excuse me, Robert, I thought French was a little pretentious. Sorry about that. And so- <laughs> no, no, Not just a little, was a lot hard. pretentious. Jer- I know, I, I, but German was too hard. So I saw Italian was offered and I thought it was pretty cool because I have this Italian ancestry, but I also liked Italian food. And I thought Italian girls were pretty and I liked the Godfather trilogy movie. So that's about where I was. As we all do, yes. That's why I started studying Italian. But you know, God can take something like that, that is kind mm-hmm. of trivial and he can do something beautiful with it. So those roots were not so uh, not so beautiful, uh, but that's what uh, that's what got me into Italian. And okay. God took it because not not long after that, I went to we went to Assisi, and while I was at Assisi, I discovered the life of Saint Francis, and that really had a strong impact on me. So it corresponded with my conversion and my bottoming out, learning the language, discovering the life of Saint Francis, and also going to Rome because when I went to Rome. I saw the tomb of St. Peter. I saw the tomb of St. Paul. I saw all these churches. And I said, you know what? The Catholic Church really doesn't have a beginning. And I just, at that point, when I was in college, that's when I realized what Lutheran meant and that it was connected to Martin Luther. And all these different Protestant churches I'd been to all had a beginning. And I couldn't find a beginning in the Catholic Church other than with the apostles. Hmm. So it made sense. It made sense intellectually, but also in the Catholic churches there I discovered in Italy I felt a real connection, and it reminded me of my childhood faith that I had learned, even in the Lutheran Church, but it was much deeper. It was much more profound. And going into church, to this day, I, I feel um, I feel a, a presence when I go into a Catholic church that I do not feel when I go into a Protestant church. And that's not to—I'm uh, not going to say anything negative against our Protestant no, brothers and not. sisters. You know, God is— uh, it's where I come from. Uh, my most of my family are Protestant, and you know the God. I think I believe Jesus is present there, but I believe there's a fullness in our faith tradition, and I'm I have never had any regrets. So I converted in 1995 is when I was confirmed uh, on Easter. So uh, that's my kind of faith story coming in. I just I mentioned Saint Francis. I discovered him at the beginning. I chose him as my confirmation name. And then after I met my wife in my travels in Italy, met the woman who had become my wife. She had lived in Assisi for about six years, seven years, and she was very close to the Franciscan friars and nuns. 
And she actually considered very seriously about becoming a Franciscan third order nun. She did not, obviously. And we have three children <laughs> together. We've married 20 years. This year will be 21 years. Congratulations. And so, yeah, so Assisi is, is part of our life. It's part of our story. And then when we were living in the U.S. after we got married, I was flying. I was a pilot. And we uh, start joined the Third Order of St. Francis because this is when we were back in Georgia. And she had lived in Assisi, so she wanted to kind of maintain her Franciscan uh, journey. So we joined the Third Order, made our, did our formation, made our profession back in 2006. And right around that time, I started discerning, you know, I'd like to bring, I just felt like I had a, well, I had a strong desire to bring English-speaking people over to Italy, in central Italy, to Assisi and Rome and all these places that were so important in me and my life and sort of walk in the footsteps of St. Francis. So we started St. Francis Pilgrimages in 2005, and we've been bringing pilgrim groups here ever since. Uh, the pandemic stopped us for about two years, but groups and people are starting to contact me again, so it's starting to come back uh, now. So that's a little bit of my faith journey. I'm not sure if that's the shorter version or the longer version. No, that's good. Maybe the Just <laughs> one quick question, Brett. You, did you start the, the St. Francis Pilgrimages in the States and then moved it over to Italy, or did you always start the did you start them in italy well the um it's been the same since the beginning we bring english-speaking people mostly from the north america we've had a lot of canadian groups too mostly okay. from north america into italy so they're all english-speaking people in italy we've had a few people from northern europe and then smattering of people from some of the asian countries and then people join on from all over so this is where people are coming to and they're coming from the english-speaking world Right. So it's been the same from the beginning, yeah. I just really like, like the notion as I was listening to your story there, but you know, first of all, and I think that's why a lot of people come from North America to Europe, is just the beauty of the architecture in Europe mm -hmm. and the sacredness. And there's something to be said about sacred art. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, in the last 20, 30 years over here in North America, some of our, our church architecture uh, in my opinion, is wanting a little bit. It's very barren yep. and sterile, I find. Mm. Uh, but just to have that beauty. And that leads to that notion of presence. And as you were talking about, too, just the the, the presence of the body of Christ, of the, the lay faithful that are there praying, but then also, too, just the, the fullness of the presence of Christ that we can find in our churches. And it's so so beautiful that that's really what pulled you in. And I've met other people, too, along the way who've uh, converted to the faith through the study of art history here mm. in Italy. I know people who can I know a guy who took a course on Dante, the Divine Comedy, which I mentioned at the beginning. He took a course on divine, the Divine Comedy. And by the end, he decided he wanted to become Catholic and went through RCIA. And now he's a Dominican priest. <laughs> so, it's it's amazing the way God works. Oh, it is. It's, um, you know, when you're open and you see things and like, cause a lot of people, uh, who study art history here in Italy, cause it's, it's started mostly in what you see here in the high middle ages, went through the Renaissance and Baroque. And it's mostly Catholic, uh, imagery with the exception, a little bit of humanism starting in the Renaissance. But a lot of people come from the North American tradition or the secular artistic tradition. Don't, they're not Christian. They don't have a Christian formation. So a lot of them have to study a little bit of Christian theology and symbolism in order mm. to understand what's happening in these masterpieces. So, uh, yeah, you get uh, a little bit of catechesis by studying the art. And that's actually what these artistic works are designed for, were designed for, was catechesis back, you know, in the era when people didn't read 
couldn't read. Reading uh, was in Latin. Literature was in Latin. Most people didn't know Latin except for the educated elite. So you had to tell the stories through art. And that's what art did back then. So it's catechetical. Yeah. And I heard someone say recently on another podcast, and I can't, I, I lose track of what I'm listening to sometimes. Uh, but this person said, you know, the beauty of the Catholic faith, it, the, the Catholic faith is just so beautiful and the architectural beauty and the artistic beauty, it has to be true. Nothing so beautiful <laughs> yeah. can, cannot not be true, right? Sure. A lot of the great theologians would use uh, beauty as the most uh, important piece of evangelization. We've gotten away from that, uh, and it went to reason, and now people, uh, our, our world is, is so insane in so many different ways. Beauty doesn't even work anymore because a lot of people, it might not work because a lot of people can't even recognize it. But these are, you know, side, uh, side points and distractions. Side points, side yeah. Things. Now, Brett, it's been said, and we were just talking about the beauty of architecture and how architecture can can bring us in. But it's been said that you know one cannot fully get to know someone, especially a historical figure, without visiting the places where he or she grew up. I mean, we can say that about historical figures. We could say that even about our own wives, like you said, visiting Pugnia, where your, your wife grew up. I know Dennis has been to Australia, where his wife grew up, and I've made a trip back to Portugal, not necessarily where my wife grew up, but that's where, where her family came. And you know, from that, you had a great line in your book, following Padre Peel, your new book. You know, the, the people of Pietric, you have to tell me what the pronunciation on this. Pietrelcina. Yep. There you go. Pietrelcina. 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 I love that. So the people of this town that I cannot pronounce uh, <laughs> are the true stones. And it's it's the people that knew the saints. So the people that that knew Padre Pio, for example, are the ones that know him best. So how does visiting these places and how does getting to speak to some of the, the people that know the saints help us? Because that's really the nexus of your book. That's the, the, the book itself is about yeah. visiting the places mm-hmm. uh, of Padre Pio. How does this help us to get to know this venerable, this great saint? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so for my book, uh, Following Padre Pio, A Journey of Discovery from Pietro Cina to San Giovanni Rotondo, what I wanted to do is tell the story of St. Of Padre Pio. But by now, a lot of people have done that. There's a lot of different renditions of his biography. Some are better, some are not as good. But I wanted to take that story and go, and so I also use some of the updated biographies on Padre Pio. So I think the biography that I have is, is a little more updated and offers a little more information. But I wanted to take that also and contrast it to a journey into the places that where these events happen. So it, it's uh, kind of four parts. It's uh, part one and then part two. So part one goes from his uh, birth into his ordination in the history of his life. And then I journey from Pietrocina to all the places where he lived up until his ordination. And then the second part of the journey, the part on his life goes from his ordination until his death. And then the last part, I journey from the last places where he lived from the time he was ordained until he died, which is mostly San Giovanni Rotondo and then a few other places closer to that. So um, I think that another question, another way to understand the answer to the question is to ask, you know, I just use our, our imagination for a second. You know, what happens when you talk about an historical figure who comes from a, a distant place and you don't understand where he's coming from? You have sort of a, uh, a disincarnate 
kind of understanding of this uh, historical figure. So if you were Italian, if we're Italian and we're talking about Padre Pio, they have a much different understanding of who he was because they understand, I think, that agrarian farming mentality, which is where he came from. And uh, I have a little bit of a uh, maybe a keener insight into it because my wife is from southern Italy. She's from the same region where he lived most of his life of Puglia. And her family uh, are all from that kind of contadina, tradizione contadina, we call it. It means farmer, or peasant, kind of a peasant mentality. So they're very, the people are very earthy and they're very simple. They're uneducated. They have uh, ways about them. Uh, for example, I talked about my mother-in-law. She never threw anything away. The first time, one of the first meals together, I ate an apple, half, not even half an apple, and I was going to throw it away. I got reprimanded. I was scolded. Hmm. Uh, As only a nona can do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Bread. If you, you know, if you, uh, you never throw away bread, even if it's stale, you don't throw it away. The only time she told me you can throw away bread is if it's moldy. Even if it's stale, you break it up into uh, like croutons. That's what croutons are. They're still bread. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Tuscans in Tuscany, they have a, um, uh, a dish like a kind of a soup they use for dinner called papa and papa is basically stale bread mixed together in in tomato sauce so they don't throw anything away that's part of the the uh farming tradition so Padre Pio he comes from that tradition because his parents were farmers they weren't sharecroppers they actually owned land but in his era in the late 1800s sharecropping was was widespread so uh, you, you would rent land and have to give to the landlord a, a sizable pr- uh, part of the produce. So they actually owned land, but they owned about six, eight, six hectares, about 10 acres. So it wasn't much, but they at least owned land. So they were part of that peasant tradition. Southern Italy, if you go down to Pietrocina, uh, if you go to, go, go to, first of all, pilgrimage to Italy in the footsteps of Padre Pio, you'll go to Pietrocina. You'll probably spend most of your time in San Giovanni Rotondo. San Giovanni is where he died. It's where he lived the last 50 years of his life. But he was uh, lived the first two decades, three dec- decades of his life elsewhere. So I wanted to go to these places, in particular where he grew up in Pietrocina, and explore the place. So first thing I learned about Pietrocina, and I spent about five days in Pietrocina, and I would make day trips, and I would go to two or three different places where he's uh, either lived for you know longer period of time, mostly in formation or studies. Or sometimes he was sent to a particular friary or convent for mostly for health reasons, because, you know, he had these lung ailments. And so he would get sent to these uh, friaries or hermitages, these convents, they call them. They were up in the mountains. So he was going to breathe, hope, hoping that he would breathe the fresh air and it would help his lungs. So he would get sent out to these places. And um, the first thing I learned when I went to Pietrocina is just how rural it is, because um Campania is the region uh, of where um, Pietrocina is. Benevento is the nearest uh, larger city. It's called the province city. The biggest city in the region is Naples. There was a huge amount of emigration from this region in Naples uh, of Italians uh, coming to North America. Toronto, Montreal, mm-hmm, full, mm-hmm. Of, uh, full of Campania people. A lot of them yep. probably were from Benevento. So we, went to school with, so, we went to school with lots of those people, right? Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, there, there's, there's one that just came last year, Insigne. Is, uh, of course. Insigne from Neapolis. Right. He's, now, he's now in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, most of the immigrants that came to North America were from that area in Sicily. So uh, because it was very poor, there was a lot of poverty. 
So when you go there, even today, you as I drove down there, it's very rural and the roads are still washed out today. Like, you know, paved roads, but there's been some mudslides and half the road is washed out. So they have these sort of makeshift uh, traffic signals to separate the traffic into one lane. So you still feel it today. We're talking 2023. Go right. back 150 years ago in 1887, Padre Pio was born. And it's just rural. So you have like, um, I was driving through the countryside, going to the place of Morcone, which is where Padre Pio went to his novitiate. And you know, there's flocks of sheep. There's still people shepherding. There's ag- people growing things, gardens. And as I was thinking, kind of reminiscing about all of this, uh, almost nostalgic, I'd come around a turn, and then there's a woman on a horse coming the opposite direction on the side of the road. I was thinking, just how perfect is that? This just seems so I, I'm ideal for where I am and the experience I'm trying to have. So that's one of the first things I realized is just how rural, the rural tradition he comes from. So, you know, Padre Pio was known for being very brusque, right? If you know anything about Padre Pio, mm-hmm. you know that first he had the stigmata. Second, he had all these mystical kinds of supernatural gifts, such as reading of souls. People would go to him in confession. And number one, he knew if they were there out of curiosity or they were testing him or if he knew they really had a contrite spirit. So he could read into their souls. And he also knew if people forgot sins or intentionally omitted telling him certain sins. We could read souls. People are know that part. They know that he, re- he reveals himself often with the scent of a fragrance of flowers and roses. But uh, you've probably also heard, too, that he was very brusque. So he would, mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. would uh, kick people out of the confessional, especially mm-hmm. if they were there for the wrong reasons. If they didn't have a contrite spirit or they were just out of there out of curiosity, he would uh, like cacciare fuori. He means kick them out. Sometimes physically, you would, uh, physically, you would brush push people out. <laughs> you can't. Okay, you can't do that today. We all know that you just. I was. I, I'm just having an image now. You know, Dennis yeah. is going to go for his Lenten confession, and Father's going to get out of you know one, one side of the confessional and just grab him by the shirt collar and uh, throw him out of the right. church. But you know what, yeah. Brett? You you talk about that, but when you speak about it in your book in uh, Padre Pio and the Novitiate, you speak how amenable he was, how he got along with everybody. He was certainly very. You know, um, humble and obedient. And then I'm just wondering, and then you talk about a lot of his suffering, you know, almost not getting ordained, almost dying during his, like after his novitiate. What, what do you think, uh, how did he get so brusque in the end? Like, why do you think he became? Okay, so he he was a very, he was a gentle father for most people. But when people were, the Italian term is, it kind of translates as making fun of, but not making fun of, just wasting his time. Mm -hmm. He would have dozens and dozens of people in line for confession, even hundreds. You'd have to make appointments. So he only gave people four or five minutes. So when people were there to make fun of him in, in terms of testing him okay oh, this padre Pio. let's see if he can read my soul i'm gonna go in he knew it and he didn't have time for that but here's what i wanted to say this brusqueness comes from this peasant tradition in that he when he was a boy he was charged with uh, looking after six sheep when he was out in the countryside of piano romana so he would take a little rope maybe a stick and he would sort of not drive the sheep but just sort of take the rope and not whip them but just kind of you know push them along prod them along with the rope when he was a friar he would uh go through the crowds because pe- people would come by the hundreds if not thousands to see padre pio so after prayer they would flock on all around him crowd all around him hmm. he would take his cord you know the, the rope around his waist and he would use that like he's driving the flock of sheep to get through the sacristy or to get through the church it was almost like he was driving sheep and then another thing too this brusqueness comes from the physical pain he felt because sometimes people would um in the 
they still do it today a little bit more for bishops, but in the olden days, they would uh, the lay people would kiss the right hand of the priest, the hand they blessed with. So they would kneel down and kiss their hand. So he mm-hmm. people always kissed his hand, but sometimes they would squeeze his hand too much. He had the stigmata wounds on his hand, mm-hmm. and it hurt Boy. physically. So sometimes they would squeeze him, and then he would pull his hand back and smack him away. It was just sort of a natural brusque reaction that today, you just can't do that today, um, but in those days, you could, and you could kind of get away. But even Pope Francis says, you know, today just said this recently, that a po- uh, priest should never deny absolution to a penitent in the confessional, okay? You know, there's some discussion, okay, well, you have to have a contrite spirit. Do you, If someone's not contrite and has no, you know, does not want to, to change the course of their life and renounce sin, do you do it in that case? But anyway, but Padre Pio would. But that, that being said, sometimes. That being mm-hmm. said, how many priests have the ability to know if the penitent exactly. is right. contrite, right? Exactly. So I, when you look at the case exactly. of Padre Pio, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. he had that ability to see if you know, the, the penitent was contrite, where I would say 99.9, if not 100% of priests today, that I'm aware of anyways, wouldn't have that ability to know one way or the other. Right. right. That's if you if someone act, is acting like they're contrite, but Padre Pio could see if they really were or were not. Mm-hmm. But let's say there's a case where somebody says, says, well, I'm not going to change that. They're living with their girlfriend or their boyfriend or something. And the priest says, uh, have you considered separating? So, well, no, I'm not going to do that. In that case, are they making the, the decision to to change? So anyway, these are, you know, side. Uh, that, that, that's above my pay grade to make so, that kind of decision. Yeah. Why Padre Pio? I know your wife's family was from that area, and I know you had gone over in '94, for you know, and become attracted to St. Francis and the whole Italian thing. Why then did you devote? You seem to kind of you know wrote this excellent book, and why Padre Pio? I know he's an attractive saint, as Robert mentioned. I have a decal. My my aunt in Ireland had a great devotion to Padre Pio. She was sending all sorts of stuff, little decals, holy medals in the 1970s and 80s before he was even beatified. So, but why? And of course, I was born the year he died, but that's a completely aside. Why Padre Pio? I know he's this fantastic saint, but why did you take this, you know, upon yourself to write this book? And I don't want to say devote your well, life, but it um, seems like that's the case. We, we have, as Catholics, we believe in guardian angels. It's uh, it's probably in the catechism right. somewhere that we believe we have guardian angels. I've read a little bit about uh, some of the fathers of the church debate about when we're assigned the guardian angels. Is it mm-hmm. at conception? Is it at uh, baptism? Uh, commu- uh, confirmation? So we have we believe that as part of our faith, we have guardian angels. I believe we have guardian saints. And I don't think I'm not sure 100%. if this is in the catechism. I don't think I don't think it is. But I, I believe we have guardian saints, and I believe each one of us are signed one or more guardian saints. I believe Padre Pio is my guardian saint. And I'll tell you in just a few minutes, and if you want, you've read the first six or so chapters of yeah. my book. If you want to skip ahead to the afterword, you'll well, he, he, understand he, he, why. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he's ha- after I read the afterword, I made a point of making a copy of it and getting it into his hands. So and that he I knew. was like, I call it, we met the next day in school. I'm like, Robert, what's with that afterword? That blew me away. That was so amazing. Like you talk, and we spoke about this just before. You you know, you have faith, you go through dry spells, Brett, and then you read that afterward and you're like, no, the faith is tangible. This is real stuff. And I, I don't know what, what part of the afterward you want to talk about, because that was that was really amazing. That was impressive for I both of us. That. I saved that. I have a couple things on that. Number one, I left it to the afterward. It could have been the foreword, but I mm-hmm. didn't want to lead with this 
very personal physical experience I have I've had with Padre Pio. I saved it for the afterward. And I also I hesitated whether to put it in the book at all. But in response to your question, uh, that's why, because he came into my life in a powerful way on several occasions. Mm -hmm. So it's in the afterward. And I'll just touch on these. I had three different experiences with him, one involving a dream, one involving a relic and one involving the fragrance of roses. Mm -hmm. And each time it was one time. It's actually one time I had one dream of Padre Pio. I had one time where I touched a relic and it just physically struck me almost. Um, I felt something physical and one time where I smelled roses in his presence. Um, so it might seem like, wow, but on the other hand, it's not because I know people who've had many, many dreams. Padre Pio, it appears to them or it appeared to these people on a, a continual basis in dreams over an extended period of time. Or I know people who smell roses frequently, uh, which indicates his presence. Uh, relics, I was <laughs> just, like I said, I was just down there the other day, and there's a Franciscan sister, Sister Maria, who I know, and I mentioned the relic, and she was talking about a glove. She has a glove of Padre Pio, and someone gave it to her years ago, and she had some doubts as to whether or not this was actually worn by Padre Pio. And she was in the sacristy at San Giovanni Rotondo. And there was a priest. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a friar or a diocesan priest, but he was down there in San Giovanni. He was from the region of Abruzzo. And she pulled out the glove and she touched it to this priest's head and he fell backwards, fainted and knocked him down. Wow. So my little my little stories on my, you know, my afterward, I had a relic. I touched it to my heart and I felt this very strong a very strong physical presence that sort of almost like a physical electric shock that ran through my body, but I didn't get knocked down. I didn't get passed out. It didn't, it didn't knock me to the ground. So, uh, you know, I might, I've had some experiences with Padre Pio, but since those things have happened, I've just, um, met so many people and heard so many people that have had much more powerful experiences just today. For example, this morning I was at here at mass and I went to the seven o'clock mass and I saw the minister of our Franciscan fraternity, our secular Franciscan fraternity. Her name is Diletta. I've known her for a couple of years and uh, I told her she sent me a message saying Wednesday for our meeting, we're going to study this. And I said, I'm not going to be able to do I'm not going to be there because I'm down in San Giovanni Rotondo. She was, oh, please. And she left a voice vocal WhatsApp message. And she said, please ask for a prayer for Padre Pio for me and also St. Michael when you go to Monte Sant'Angelo. And she kind of trailed off a little bit and her voice got kind of cracked up a little bit with some emotion. So I suspect she's either going through something now or not. But so this morning I saw her and she said, oh, thank you so much for the prayers in San Giovanni. I sent her some pictures of his tomb. And she said, I, I said, are you close to Padre Pio? And she said, oh, yeah. She said, I had a number of dreams. He appeared to me in dreams some time ago. And I started to ask her a little bit about it. And she said, well, she said, maybe I'll tell you about it one day, but it's something that I keep in my heart. You know, kind of like Mary, you know, Mary pondered all these things in her mm -hmm, heart, we mm -hmm. say. Um, so we we have experiences. And that's another reason why I didn't really want to talk about these things in my book. But I also kind of feel at this point it might be important to, to say them because it's um, they are things I've kept. They're, you know, we have spiritual gifts. God gives us things. He gives some things for us. Most of the things he gives to us, some truths we're supposed to keep to ourselves. And I kept these in my heart for a long time. The dream was about 20 years ago, 18 years ago. And in it, Padre, I'll just say now. So in it, Padre Pio appeared to me and I was sleeping. I was lying on my right side 
And he said, I'd like, I want to touch your hand. So I held up my left hand and he said, no, not that hand, your right hand. I want to touch your right hand. So I kind of held up my right hand and he touched it and then he was gone and I was awake. And that was the first experience. I didn't have too much of devotion on Padre Pio, but I didn't think too much about it at the time. It was kind of like a curiosity more than anything else. The next mm-hmm. morning, I told my wife, she was in Italy at the time. So Katya, I said, I had a dream of Padre Pio last night. She said, oh, that's interesting. What was it? The way he wanted to touch my hand, touch my right hand. Oh, that's cool. That was all. That was about it. I didn't really tell anybody because I didn't think too much about it for a long time. And then, but I remembered it. And I was here in Loretto, as a matter of fact, years later, mm-hmm. and I was on a pilgrimage with a group of people. And I went to confession and the, the friars who staff it are Capuchin friars. Padre Pio was a Capuchin. So here we have the Capuchin friars. So I went to one of the old friars and, and I went to him, you know, the long white beards, uh, mm-hmm. shaved heads, uh, probably in his 80s. You know, they're earthy. They have a spirituality about them. And I went to him intentionally. At the end of the confession, I mentioned the dream, kind of expecting him to say something like, oh, wow, wow, that's neat. Didn't phase him whatsoever. He said, oh, yeah, Padre Pio appears to people in dreams all the time. He says he also appears to them in the fragrance of roses. I said, really? I didn't, and this, I didn't know much about Padre Pio at the time. I said, oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. But I didn't know <laughs> about either one. That people He appeared to people in dreams. I'd never heard of the roses. I've heard of Mary appearing to people through the scent of ro- uh, fragrance of roses, but not Padre Pio. And I said, what do you think it means? He said, well, he wanted to touch your right hand because that's the predominant hand. It's the hand we do things with. It's your hand you do actions, you take actions with. He said, what were you doing in your life at that time? I said, well, I was just starting my pilgrimage ministry. He goes, well, Padre Pio wanted to bless your ministry. That's all. So, oh, wow. That's beautiful. And now I write, now I write, uh, I write, I write about Padre Pio. So some people have interpreted it that way that he wants me to write about him. Another, another spiritual son I know, he said, uh, he goes, I know, he goes, I knew Padre Pio real, really well. He said, he wanted a hand from you. He wanted you to give him a hand. Hmm. So the right hand, yeah, right hands you do think. He wanted a hand from you. He wanted you to give him a hand. So that was that. And then the the last one, I was in Padre, I was in San Giovanni Rotondo. It was a period where I was kind of going through some things in my life. And I was, it was about five or six years ago. And I was at the old church, the ancient church. And it was winter. I think it was February. So there weren't a lot of people there. <clears throat> and I was in the rear of the church next to the women's confessional there's nobody in the church. I was there for about five minutes. And then all of a sudden I smelled the presence of roses, the fragrance of roses, uh, as if somebody was spraying rose perfume under my nose. It wasn't like, is that roses? It, there was no doubt whatsoever. And I've heard other people say that, that when the saint, when Mary appears to you or when Padre Pio appears to you, there's no doubt. So I was like, wow, that's strong. Ooh. And then I, uh, a spiritual son of his, one of the last living spiritual sons, his name's Adolfo. He wrote the foreword to the book. Yeah, he was which is a sorry, Brett, which is an amazing story. He's got an amazing story about Padre Pio, but you'll have to read the book for that. But continue where you are. His are much more amazing than me. I have two or three little things. He has yeah. a lot. So but, yeah, no, go on. So we went into. He met me at eleven o'clock. We went into the church for mass. So I was sitting. He said he, we went up to the to the right transept and he said this is where the spiritual sons and daughters used to sit when padre pio celebrated master so we're going to sit there and even today the old people who knew him they would they kind of sit up there it's almost like a little reserved area for those who knew him <clears throat> so we went up there and i he had got there right before the 11 o'clock mass so i didn't have time to tell him about the roses so we went in and we sat in mass started you know the liturgy of the, of the word everything and then in the liturgy of the eucharist when the priest held up the consecrated host i got it again it just was this overwhelming rose uh spray under my nose i said wow and i leaned over 
Adolfo was sitting next to me and I said, you smell roses? And he said, no. And then I said, just to be sure, I said, does your wife or she had a friend with her? I said, do, do either of them have rose scented perfume? And he smiled and he said, <laughs> he said, my son, don't ever doubt. He said, don't ever doubt the gifts of Padre Pio. So I've read um, uh, interpretations about the rose and actually Padre Pio has commented himself. So I'm right now I'm reading a book by his beloved spiritual daughter, uh, Cleonice Morcaldi, and she asks him point blank because she says, I smell roses a lot. What does that mean? And he says, it's a sign of my presence. So that's all. And I've heard also another um, interpretation, and it's a sign of hope for heaven, hope for the afterlife. So yeah, Padre Pio is one of these saints who he gets into your, your soul in a way that is unique, and we do that too. But Padre Pio is a modern saint. He, you know, we've got People knew him. They're still alive who knew him. So it's not like St. Francis where you have to go back to the medieval sources right, and try right. and interpret it and make sense of it. These people knew him. You have uh, personal testimonies, people still today. So he, uh, he, he would say, he said frequently, he would say, uh, I'm, I'm going to make more noise after my death than now. Uh, in Italian, uh, farò più rumore per la mia morte, more rumore, more noise. <clears throat> and he, to his word, it's true. So he gets into people's lives and souls. And they also say, too, that when he gets into the life of one person, he gets into the life of your family. So I uh, pray a lot through his intercession for my children. I have three children and my wife. And so I feel very protected in a uh, I feel very protected through his his intercession. So that's another I'm not sure if that's the long, medium or short version of um, why I'm this devoted to Padre Pio. <laughs> you know, your just quickly, Robert, into your life. Robert always says yeah. uh, he starts to get goosebumps <laughs> when a few guests talk. And I feel that, you know, Robert, when when Brett's talking about Padre Pio there, I don't know. If you feel the same way, but the goose the goosebumps start coming because that's just such an amazing story. Which oh, just really, for sure. For sure. Oh, profound. Yeah. And, you know, again, how beautiful is that? to know that you have a saint walking with you. And not only just kind of to say, oh, I have St. Padre Pio walking with me, but to know that he's walking with you, he's reached out to you. He's held your hand. I'm going to tell you, I'm cool. going to follow up with one more thing on that. And mm -hmm. this is something, it's not in the book. It's something that uh, my confessor here, he's a Capuchin friar. He's a very holy friar. And uh, I asked him to be my spiritual director nine months ago, maybe a year ago. And I just sensed something about him. And I had a feeling, I said, he needs to be my spiritual director. And when I asked him, he smiled and said, yes. So I think he, he'd seen me before. He's from my wife's region. <clears throat> He's a Capuchin. And I think he sensed that he wanted to be my spiritual director too. So in my first confession, spiritual direction appointment, I told him about a lot of these things. I, we didn't have as much time, but I told him some of the brief things. And he just nodded his head, nodded his head, nodded his head. And he said, uh, he said yes. Uh, I said, did you know Padre Pio? And he said, I never knew him personally, but um, I don't have time to tell you the story, but he saved my life physically and spiritually. I don't know what he meant by that, but he's so I just knew that this priest was supposed to be my spiritual director. And then he said, um, he said, Padre Pio has and I don't know where he got this from or how he came up with this, but he said, Padre Pio has received sometimes in people's life he has received permission from god the father to uh, go directly and immediately into people's lives 
And he says, it's no it's no chance that you're you're American from Georgia. He goes, I don't know where Georgia is, but I'm sure it's far away. He he said, I've never been there. He said, it's no accident that you're married to a woman who's from Puglia, an hour, an hour and a half drive from where Padre Pio lived. It's no accident that you became Catholic. You came here to this land and are married to a woman from Puglia and are doing what you're doing. He says Padre Pio has a, is a, played a major role in all of that. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, so he's uh, he's one of those saints. And I've heard other people talk about other saints in similar ways, in other ways. So God uses the saints like he uses the angels spiritually, but he uses people. You know, he uses people as spiritual directors, too, uh, while we're here on this earth. They all, we're all here to direct one another to, to the Lord and to our salvation and to get into heaven, which is really, I think, the end of all of this. Oh, exactly, exactly. And mm-hmm. when you started off just talking about guardian saints, and I'm not going to go on and on and on, as Dennis knows that I, I can, but I firmly believe that as well. I firmly believe that our patron saints or our guardian saints choose us. So St. Padre Pio has chosen yes. chosen you, Brett. Uh, I've shared this story, and I'm just going to say you know, very quickly, Santa Anna, so St. Anne, the mother of Our, our Lady, and St. Michael the Archangel have touch my own life in, in particular ways. Now is not the time and place to, to go into that. But when you're talking about a, a guardian saint or a patron saint, choosing us 100%, like you, zero argument from me. And I would encourage all of our listeners mm-hmm. to you know, open their minds and their hearts and to listen to which saint is whispering to them, which saint is calling to them uh, to, to help bring them closer to God. Now, I have to say that the book, Following Padre Pio, uh, The Journey of Discovery from uh, Pietrelcina to, to San Giovanni <laughs> Rotondo. One English, Robert with the four or five languages that I'm telling you how to pronounce yeah, it. That's because I grew up in a very Italian neighborhood in Toronto, Brett, and that's why I, I picked up a few Italian words, yep. mostly slang yep. and curse words, but anyhow. <laughs> But um, right, yeah, exactly. When when we were first setting up this this interview to to talk about you know, Padre Pio on this episode, uh, you said, well, "Why don't I send you a book?" I'm thinking, "Well, the postage for you to send a book from Italy to here is you know, exorbitant. Just send us a PDF." So you sent the PDF. I, I printed off the first five or six chapters for Dennis and I so that we could read it. And I started reading, and I got to about page. 20, maybe page 30, just off of photocopy pages. And I just said, I mm-hmm. I need to read this book, but I need to read it properly. So I bought the book, right? I, it was one of those, I, I got to buy this book. And you do such an amazing job. You're talking about that you've tried to, to bring up to date or to use you know, more modern biographical aspects of St. Padre Pio's life. But I truly love the parts of the book where you're talking about your own experiences, your your trips to the different monasteries and where they are, not just the monastery and the churches themselves or Padre Pio's cells. You go right into his cells and you describe them so well. I really felt like I was present mm-hmm. in those places. Absolutely, Robert. That's a really good way of putting it. And there, there was there was one of the monasteries and I can't remember which, which one it was, but I love you. You shared the part that 
you know, you kind of, I'm sitting here in the church praying, and I'm wondering if the the noise from the autostrada, the noise from the highway that's running yeah. past the monastery, then was as much a distraction yeah. for Padre Pio back in the day when it was just a mule track, right? And <laughs> it just made me chuckle yeah, because of the changes, yeah. Okay. And yeah, also, so in Padre Pio, that's another thing. I was going to say, if I can, just for one moment, oh, yeah, uh, that's one of the things that's striking about these places is that, and that I learned more about the life of Padre Pio only by visiting. So in response to one of your earlier questions, that uh, the Capuchin order was founded on hermitage and penance. So it was very rigid and very mm, ascetic, very, uh, 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 they used the self-disciplines, flogging and things like that. But they were all mm-hmm. up in very rural places, either on the top of a mountain or on a hillside or in the plains way away from the city. But what happened was over the past 120 years with the 20th century, uh, the growth of Italy, the towns all expanded. And now the the modern suburbia has overcome these hermitages that used to be isolated hermitages. Now they're kind of like sitting right in the middle of a, a little modern suburb. So that sense of hermitage is gone. But it was very much a part of the order when Padre Pio was alive and it was very much part of his charism. And it really is still part of the Capuchin charism today. But, the you know, the church has changed and their orders changed. There's fewer friars. And I talk about this more towards the end. There are fewer friars in the province and in the order. They're doing more work. They're in their cars. So the order is very, very different from what it was in his day. His day, they walked. He walked. They did what was called the questua. They would walk with a basket and go into town. It was always about three to four kilometers, so two, two to three miles. Go into town and ask for bread or wine or grapes or food or whatever it is and bring it back. You know, now they'll drive and they do it once a year and just ask for grain or grapes or something. But um, yeah, so that was one thing I discovered about it too. And how all the churches, there were certain characteristics about all the ancient churches that that reminded me of San Giovanni Rotondo. But in San Giovanni Rotondo now, you really can't get that feel because it's transformed so radically that it, it, when Padre Pio arrived there in 1916, it was a little church and convent or friary three kilometers from town, up a mule track uh, on the side of a, a rocky mountain. Now it's you still have the ancient church, you still have the ancient friary, but they have a larger church from the 1950s and 60s built mm-hmm. next to it. And then this mega I don't know what you call it, Mega Basilica by uh, Renzo mm-hmm, Piani, mm-hmm. a famous Italian architect, around the corner. And you have this massive hospital that he had built, which is one of the most important hospitals in the region. And you have hotels and uh, restaurants and tour shop, tourism mm. shops and souvenir all. And then you have hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions of people, coming there for healthcare services and for pilgrimage. So that has just radically transformed all because of Padre Pio. It's just incredible. I was going to say it's almost mm-hmm. the the unfortunate part uh, of Saint Padre right. Pio, right? Now I've yeah. never been to San Giovanni Rotondo, but having been to Lourdes and to Fatima and Santiago mm-hmm. de Compostela, yeah, you, you, you yeah, see the same right. kind of thing, and it's almost mm-hmm. like there's the secular circus, and then there's the pilgrimage destination mm-hmm. is right. kind of the the best yeah. way to describe it. So sorry, go ahead, Dennis. And and that's why I think. P.L. Chochina sounds so much more attractive when you describe it in your book yeah. as less touristy, less, you know, crowds yeah. and just much simpler yeah. in that as opposed to San Giovanni de Rotonda, which everyone has to go to, of course. But maybe we start right. off in his birthplace, I guess, uh, Brett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can go there and there's a couple souvenir shops. There's right. one hotel 
there's a few Airbnbs, but it very much has maintained that sense of simplicity. So you go to Pietrocino, you really get a feel for him. Then if you even want to get a more, you go to any of these nine or 10 friaries where he lived and there's no, <laughs> there are no souvenir shops. There's, it's exactly the way it was when and, he was and, there. With and that's what Robert said. Yeah. Now, just yeah, quickly with his brother, with his brother. Sorry, sure. Brett. Uh, Michelle, you mentioned that in the book. Did he have family? Like, does he still have great nieces and nephews alive? Or I, okay. I didn't quite get to I that. I don't yet. know the answer. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question. I suspect oh, okay. he does have uh, ancestors through his siblings. He had six, six or eight siblings. Two or three of them died when they were right. infants or children. He had an older brother named Michele. It's actually Michele. Michele, Michele yeah. Michele. And um, he, he lived for a time, a period of time, either in Canada or the U.S., but I don't know if, I don't know where he eventually settled. I believe he went back to Italy and died in Pietrocina, but he had children and he had a sister who had children. Another sister became a nun. Another sister died during the Spanish flu. So he had at least two siblings who had children. So he has nieces and nephews through them, and I'm sure they have relatives. I'm sure there are people somewhere who can trace their ancestry to him. But Michele is the only male, so he has the name Forgione, because his birth name is Francesco Forgione. So Michele would transmit the name Forgione to his son. So that's that's a question to get some research on. Just saying, I went to school with a Pasquale Forgione. Just saying. In Toronto. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? All right. Well, um, yeah, that's hmm. something for me to research, I suppose, Almost. right? <laughs> yeah. So like I was saying, Brett, I was just so impressed when I started getting into the book that I had to buy it. And so my next question to you, and as we, we finish up here, where would you like to point people, not just for your book? And I, and I believe you have a few other books out there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, also for... And, and for oh, God, the, sorry, the, the the San Francis pilgrimages, where would you like to point our listeners? And then I'll get that into the show notes as well. Sure. Uh, Amazon is where all my books are sold. So you can put my name, Brett, B-R-E-T, Thoman, T-H-O-M-A-N, write it into Amazon. It'll pop up. I think I have a um, like an author profile or something on Amazon, but this book is on Amazon. And then my pilgrimage company, stfrancispilgrimages.com. So S-T, then Francis and pilgrimages. So, um, yeah, that's where my pilgrimage is. And then we're not doing groups as much anymore, but I'm doing a lot of work with individuals and families. And I was just in San Giovanni a couple of days ago with a family and a woman had a, a very, I'll just tell this very briefly, a, a daughter born yeah, when she was in vitro had a, they discovered a hole in this child's heart. And Padre Pio appeared to the mother in a dream and appeared to some of the sisters because this woman had five daughters before the sixth daughter was born and Padre Pio started intervening in her life to help her get through it. So it was a series of dreams and I'm very, very convinced it was Padre Pio because he told them in the, both the daughter and the mother that they needed to pray more as a family. And then the Padre Pio also to the girl, one of the sisters appeared in a dream and he showed this the, the girl his heart and had blood around it. Then he showed the girl a little heart, a smaller heart, which had a little bit of blood. And he said, do not be afraid. So the girl was born and they, you know, she was in NICU for months. They had lots of operations. Now she's four, four and a half years old. She runs around, she plays, she's perfectly fine, except for she has a little bit of um, some lung, lung ailments and takes a little bit of medicine, but her heart's fine. She had a hole in her heart and she's all fixed. So Padre Pio really uh, intervened with them 
to help them accompany them through the process. And he still does. So I was down there with them. We went to Pietrocina. We went to San Giovanni Rotondo. We met some of the friars. He, one of the friars showed him around some of the cells where he lived on the inner part of the enclosure. And so I do things like that. You know, uh, we do some groups, but mostly with, I'm now working mostly with individuals and families, small groups. Excellent. Intimate. And, yes. and, tr- and truly doing the work of God. And as you said, called by God through St. Padre Pio to bring others closer to our Lord, again, through St. Padre Pio. So beautiful work that you're doing for the kingdom. I can't thank you enough, Brett, for joining us here today. Uh, it's thank hitting you. into late yeah, afternoon for us, but it's uh, you know getting into to late evening for you. Um, so thank you very much for you know, being able to make these arrangements and time change and everything uh, all involved in that. Uh, it's been such a blessing to have you here on the show today. Thanks, Brett, so much for your story well, thank, and your faith. Thank you so much, Dennis and, and Robert, for having me. And it was a, a real pleasure, too. So, Robert. Dennis. I knew there was a reason why I've had that Padre Pio decal on my car for the last 12, 13 years, keeping myself and my family safe as we drive. That was an amazing story. Wow. You know, yeah, that was such a great guess. Blew my socks off. Now, I always called it a sticker, not a decal that you've got on the Padre Pio mm-hmm. mobile. I think you sticker, you stick on to the decal appears on the windshield. Of the oh, so it depends, depends on if this, the sticky's on the back or the sticky's on the front. Is that how it works? Well, if it's on gloss, it's a decal. And if it's, I, I don't know. Anyhow, to make but a just long the story ble- short. The, the, yeah. the blessing that you have of having seen Padre Pio. Speaking of blessings, you. a lot of people have had blessings from Padre Pio, according to Brett. What a what amazing, wow, what a lot of great stories he's had to tell, and what a great faith he has, for sure. Oh, I'm so happy that we had him on the show, because mm-hmm. you know, reading the book is one thing, but then speaking with him and getting those extra stories to go yeah. along with it, absolutely amazing. And how Padre Pio has worked in Brett's life, and like you're saying, working in the lives of others, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just been absolutely mind-blowing. Does it not want to make you take a trip right now to Italy and go to the 10 Ferraris that Padre Pio had spent time in? Yes or no? Yes. Hard yes. I know. I wonder if they've got beer. It's more wine country, but hey, maybe we'll go to wine in Pews or carafes in Pews or something if we're over there. Who knows? Carafes and catechesis? Carafes and catechesis. We got to go soon, Cath- though. Catholic I mean. carafes. <laughs> no, we do. We do need to get over. We need to get over there while Brett is still. Uh, There's your next job the in retirement. Organizing a pilgrimage, mind you, he doesn't say do. Gr- he does groups, mostly individuals and families. So we'll make it really small. Yeah. Family of twenty or something. We'll just get fewer close friends. There we go. But no, reading the book, talking with Brett, reading the book, it's like, yeah, I need to get to San Giovanni Rotondo, but not just there, like we talked about with Brett. Pietrocina, I want to get to his home, yeah. his home place, right? His and a couple hotel. of the smaller monasteries, yes, too. Yes, yes. Yeah. Simple there, life. There, I think you find the, the truer essence of St. Padre Pio than when you are in San Giovanni Rotondo. Again, I haven't visited. Which so just thousands of your closest friends. I know I know what you're saying, though. Yeah, I'm, but even I'm the, just speaking from my own experiences at Lourdes and Fatima that, you know, that it's beautiful to get there and you do have to go and you do have to pray there. But there's a certain consumerist under element that kind of takes away from the experience as well. Which you've been to Fatima and Lourdes, and I guess you cannot get away with that at the bigger uh, pilgrimages and places of worship, correct? 
Well, you, you still have a little bit of, like I said, that secular circus. Like I always I know, remember I at, at Lourdes, uh, in the town of Lourdes itself, I, to me, it was like Niagara Falls. It was very much okay. a, a touristy place, a tourist trap. But once right. you stepped onto the grounds of the grotto and you, you went through the gate, there was just a certain piece that's beautiful. That, that that fell across. Nice. Right. But again, I'm going to get all of that information into the show notes. It was absolutely fantastic. Now, how was your Doppelbach there, sir? My Doppelbach was absolutely fantastic. I will be getting a Doppelbach again. It's all it's gone though. There's I was going to say else. you're speaking in the past tense for a reason. A little drop at the very. Can you see the little drop? There, the little drop. You know, very much like the Salvatore that we had on. Another great drop. Saying. Yes. Yeah. What about yourself, sir? The the Godiva peanut butter stout, mm. rich, 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 rich. Great beer for a day like today. Like you said, mm -hmm. it's just been gray. There was mm. snow at one point, then there was rain, then there was freezing rain and there was winds. It's yeah. just a, a great day for sitting by the fire. Nice. Well, he had a fire a too, book. Brett, yeah. before he moved up to the separate room. So it's a, not a beer you could have four or five of. It's it's a one or two type of beer. It's, it's it. a one or two, two hours to get through kind of beer. Correct. But that peanut butter chocolate taste. I, nice. And no need for dinner after you have two of those beers. Right? Well, there, there we or go. Dessert. That's my, my, my Lenten fast. Yeah, your Lenten fast. Yeah, so am I breaking my Lenten fast by having a peanut butter chocolate beer on a Saturday? Absolutely not. Anything with a 5% alcohol or more? No, you don't have to worry okay, about Okay, actually, okay, this clock's in at uh, a full eight and a half. Holy jumping. I thought my 6% was uh, strong alcohol. Eight eight point five. 8.5. Well, I, got, I think I got a 10% in my fridge. I'll have to bring that out next time, maybe. So after a great conversation on Great Pint, maybe it's time to go for a great siesta. I'll just fall asleep on the computer. There we go. There we go. But Dennis, as always, the time seems to have flown by. And as we've been saying, my hourglass is just about empty. Always a pleasure, Robert, both the pint and the conversation. Well, especially especially this especially this pint. But yeah, the con I gotta say the conversation was absolutely fabulous. But the, this always, this pint? Hmm. Oh it's always great to talk about our Catholic faith with a guest like Brett. Very true, very true. Now, just before we wrap up here, Dennis, perhaps there's just one small favor we could ask of our listeners. If you could take a quick moment and a couple of clicks to follow the Pints and Pews podcast on your favorite platform and give us a review. And while you're at it, give us a like on Facebook where you can still do yes. in for our great Pints and Pews ball cap giveaway. We're, so give us a like on Facebook. We're getting near the end, are we not, Robert? A couple weeks left. In two more weeks. So two I'll put that out okay. there too. Yeah. So give us a like there on Facebook. Drop us a line at the Facebook page or at pintsandpews at gmail.com. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. Chat again soon, my friend. God willing, Dennis. And until then, why don't you remind our listeners about the wise words of G.K. Chesterton, which are right here on my t-shirt. Right on your t-shirt. In Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together. God bless. Take care.